I gotta share a few Scotland stories with you now because it's a place that's pretty close close to my heart. I lived there in 1991, worked at a hotel. I went back there in 1995, worked there again. Um, I had some family in a place called Kilcody, which is in Fife, just across the way, uh, across the Firth of um, the Firth of Forth from uh, from Edinburgh, where I was living. Uh, and then, of course, I worked. I've worked in England, so I worked in London. I was based in London, so I was there for the 2014 referendum, independence referendum in Scotland, covering it. Was there for more than a week, um, and it was a really fascinating experience. Of course, having grown up in Quebec, uh, I was only too familiar with uh, the notion of an independence referendum and what's at stake and how um, how passions can get pretty pretty intense uh, as it goes on. Uh, and one of the questions that often came up back then to the uh, pro-independent side was, how often are you going to do this? Or is it going to be a never-ending referendum sort of idea? Uh, as it often was in Quebec until it wasn't anymore, this idea that it would always hang over every election. There was this idea that there would be another referendum eventually. Now, 1995 came very, very close. And again, I don't think anyone would have predicted in 1995 that we wouldn't have another one. You know, here we are 27 years later, and there hasn't been another one in Quebec. Well, in Scotland, they had one in 2014. Um, it failed. 45% support, 55% opposed. And at that point, it was sort of th thought to be a generational thing. They wouldn't have another one anytime soon. And then Brexit happened. Then Britain decided to leave the European Union, or we should say England decided to leave the European Union, because in Scotland, they voted massively in favor of staying in the EU. Um, so it sort of changed the dynamic, didn't it, at that point? Uh, the landscape was different. And so the idea of having another referendum quickly reemerged in Scotland. Of course, there's been a conservative government at Westminster in London for a long time now, more than a decade, a party that no one in Scotland ever votes for. So you have an unrepresentative, to some extent in their eyes, an unrepresentative government in London that pulled them out of a union that they liked to be a part of. So the idea was we'll have another referendum in 2023. That was the deal. Nicola Sturgeon, who's the uh, first minister in Scotland, said, let's have another independence referendum. Uh, and there seemed to be quite a bit of support for that. The problem is that under their system, they need the British Parliament to agree to it. Back in 2013, 2014, the British Prime Minister, David Cameron, agreed to the referendum. This time around, they've said, forget it. Um, so they brought it to court. And the UK Supreme Court has said, no. You need to ask, you need to get, this needs to be a joint decision. You can't just hold a unilateral referendum on independence. Uh, you need Westminster to agree to it. And at this point in time, neither the government nor the opposition, the Labour leader, Keir Starmer, seem to be in any position to want to agree to one. So uh, we're left with a Supreme Court decision that says this is not going to happen and a Scottish government saying, we're going to try and find a way to do something anyway. Oddly enough, we spoke over the summer with Lorna Slater. She's a Canadian from Calgary who is the co-leader of the Scottish Green Party. They're in government right now. She's a minister, um, also pro-independent. And we asked her about what if Westminster said no. Here's what she had to say. But instead of trying to tell a good story about what lies ahead of us if we stay in the union, all they do is instead say, oh, you can't have a referendum. So they're not, they're not holding up the courage of their convictions. It's an undemocratic position. So they need to decide, is this a democracy or not? It is quite the question, right? Who gets to decide? Now, oddly enough, back in 1998, after the last Quebec referendum, 
Our Supreme Court weighed in on this one and in their decision, not to crib note it too much for you, but the idea was that with a clear question and a clear majority, the rest of the Federation would have to negotiate with Quebec about its departure. So we sort of laid down the groundwork for what a departure would look like. Um, it turns out the UK Supreme Court decision leaned pretty heavily on what Canada had already done, what the Canadian Supreme Court decision was back in 1998. So there's a real Canadian flavor to this whole drama that's unfolded over the past 24 hours uh, in Britain. And not surprisingly, because there's been a lot of eyes here on that uh, movement, the independence movement, and its and its ties to what happened in Quebec, to our experience with it as well, although the political systems are very different. So what lies ahead now for the Scottish independence movement? And what exactly did Canada, the Canadian Supreme Court ruling, how did it play out in the UK Supreme Court's decision? Joining me now with more on that is Catherine Frost. She's a professor of political science at McMaster University in Hamilton. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, happy to be here, Ben. This is an interesting one because I think a lot of Canadians follow what's going on with the Scottish independence movement because it's so reminiscent of of Quebec's. And so we sort of follow the legalese of it. We follow the ups and downs. Uh, just to bring us up to date, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the, the leader of the SNP, uh, the you know, the, the de facto leader of Scotland right now, was hoping to have another referendum in 2023, but there was a roadblock and that was no permission from Westminster. So that's what the Supreme Court was deciding on. That's right. That's the ruling. And they, they definitively said, no, you can't unless you get permission from Westminster. And I guess that permission isn't, isn't forthcoming. It, no, there's been a, they've had a sequence of uh, British prime ministers lately, and they've all in sequence said, no, we're not going to approve another referendum. And part of the reason is the argument is when they had a referendum back in 2014 on uh, Scottish independence, kind of the sort of selling feature of that was that it was a once in a generation event. So they had their once in a generation event. And so as far as the folks in Westminster are concerned is you don't need to do that again for a while. The only wrinkle is, of course, you had Brexit in the middle, which kind of changed the context. And so as far as the Scottish government is concerned, that creates a mandate for another referendum. And so there's a real disagreement over whether one's appropriate or not. Yeah, it would certainly seem the landscape changed fundamentally after 2014 because of Brexit. And certainly the support for Brexit was very low in Scotland. Support for the Conservative Party that's been in power now for a decade is very low in Scotland. So it feels like the winning conditions, to, to coin a, an old phrase, seem to be there to some extent in Scotland right now. Um, what has Nicola Sturgeon now said she's going to do, given that she will not have permission to have this referendum as planned? Her options are limited. One of the interesting things about the, the Scottish case is they're very committed to the Scottish government is very committed to independence. And it's been the same government since 2000. So 15 years of the same government saying we'd like to have independence. You know, they've only managed to have the one referendum and it doesn't look like they can have another. So what Nicola Sturgeons has suggested is she's going to regard the next national election as a kind of referendum in lieu of an actual referendum and see what the outcomes are there and whether people are still voting very pro-Scottish national independence mandate, which they have traditionally done electorally. So it's kind of a, a winning uh, gambit for her. I just don't think that it's the typical way that states signal that they are moving towards independence. So it's a, it's pretty atypical that way. So it, it's a very tricky, tricky uh, approach she's she's taking. 
It is because it also demands that I well, I guess it, not just the SNP, but the Scottish National Party, but maybe the other, the other parties that support independence, such as the Green Party, uh, who have a Canadian co-leader actually that we had on the show a while back. But that would demand that the SNP get fifty percent of the vote. No, and also that, and we found this out in Quebec back in the time, back in the day, people don't didn't just vote for the PQ because of independence. There were other reasons as well, and and I, I think sometimes uh, equating a national election with sort of a, a single question can be a bit of a can be a bit of a tricky a tricky thing to do as you point out yeah I, no i think you've you've exactly hit hit the nail on the head is that we don't generally regard a general election of some kind as you it's hard to say you've got a clear mandate out of that because someone could vote because you know they want a new road put in and they're not really bothered about you know whether you're an independentist or not they just want their road so it's not a clear cut kind of mandate Although clearly Nicola Sturgeon, the Scottish National Party, wants to make that argument. The problem is for an independent vote or for an independence movement to get sort of broad legitimacy, it really needs to be recognized internationally as well as a powerful mandate. And I think it'll be very hard to sell it that way. It's going to be tricky to to kind of sell this, although I think what a powerful vote could do is make quite clear that there is a constituency to look at independence. I don't think you can definitively say we have a mandate at that point. And I don't think anyone around the world would look at that and say, oh, well, in that case, Scotland has a mandate for independence. Right. And, and if, if there's a change of government in, in Britain as well, I, I mean, I was seeing that Labour leader Keir Starmer, I mean, the polls suggest he, he would win another election, who knows, but uh, in Britain these days, but he's also mm-hmm. come out and said he's not so keen on granting that to that um, that power to Scotland. But if Scotland continues to elect SNP leaders, you would think at some point uh, they would have to acquiesce. I mean, this is the will of the Scottish people to some extent. That's exactly it. And in a funny way, this recent judgment, although I don't think anyone was really surprised by it, no one expected the British Supreme Court to kind of go, oh, no, actually, they can do they can have referendums whenever they feel like it. I think what the current judgment does, and it it's it's makes sense by the standards of British law. It really is makes sense by what they uh, the way they approach these things, but it sets up a real contest between constitutionalism and law on one side and popular democracy on the other. And when you've got consistent, powerful, popular movement in favor of some kind of democratic expression, and all law can say is well. You can't ask that question. I think the one thing that Nicola Sturgeon walks away from this kind of strange encounter with is a mandate to say Scottish democracy is not what it should be because we can't ask ourselves that question. If you compare it to Quebec, Quebec can ask itself that question, do we want to be part of Canada, kind of at its own discretion. That's because it's part of a federal system and has an an awful lot of already devolved powers. Uh, Scotland doesn't have that. And so I think there is some kind of tension that's going to build there and whether and and how that's going to play out in the, the future years and for future governments or for a labor government. These are all sort of unknown territory. Yeah, it certainly takes the whole notion of devolution within the United Kingdom, whether it be Wales, whether it be Northern Ireland, but certainly Scotland, and takes it to its crux, right? Just how much power has been devolved if a, if a, if a place such as Scotland can't ask itself that 
that very essential question. I understand the notion never of the neverendums, right? We clearly, even when I was there in 2014 covering this, there was a lot of concern. They were, you know, Alex Salmon, who was the previous leader of the SNP, Nicholas Sturgeon, who replaced him, uh, were asked repeatedly, like, is this it for now? Will you lay this to rest? And I think maybe it came up a bit too quickly. But you're right. Fundamentally, just how much power does the Scottish Parliament have if it can't ask its own people this question? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a and that's a democratic issue. My understanding is uh, Sturgeon's take on this is if this is a really meaningful union of partners of equal partners, then they have to be able to ask themselves that question, and that you can't have one side saying we we're going to determine what you can even ask yourself or not. It's a tricky question overall whether whether this should be sort of brought up, but the the flip side of it is, and we've seen this in Quebec, is that when you keep putting independence referendas, and that can be a kind of disruptive force in politics, people, they tend to sort of hijack the agenda. And there's a lot of economic uncertainty that goes with it and so forth. So you don't, I can see the wisdom of people saying, well, you don't want to have them kind of on tap constantly. So democracy is good, but you it is a question of of how to make sure you get enough of it without so much of it that there is just just endless uncertainty in your political system. Catherine Frost is with us. She's a professor of political science at McMaster University. We're talking about a UK Supreme Court decision this week uh, that denied um, the Scottish Parliament the unilateral power to have another referendum on Scottish independence. Westminster, the British Parliament, would have to agree. David Cameron, the Prime Minister of Britain back in 2014, had agreed uh, to allow Scotland to have a referendum, for which he come under, came under a lot of criticism at times, by the way. Uh, that was defeated. They wanted to have another one after Brexit. That has been said, listen, you need Westminster's permission to do so, and that's caused some uh, caused some so caused a bit of a ruckus in the, in the UK this week. Uh, Catherine, there was a lot of Canadian content in that Supreme Court decision, and it was interesting because the Supreme Court decision back in in the late nineties over Quebec's rights essentially allowed it to have a clear allowed it to become independent on a clear question and a clear majority. Said the rest of the federation had to negotiate. The, the UK Supreme Court kind of turned that on its head, didn't it? Not entirely. They actually cited the Canadian judgment in their ruling. And what they cited from the Canadian ruling was interesting because there was an argument that says, an argument in international law that says that there should be a self-determination of peoples. And that issue came up in the Canadian case. And the Canadian Supreme Court went, look, that doesn't apply to Quebec because it's, it really only applies to oppressed occupied, colonized people. That isn't Quebec, and therefore we set it aside. The British Supreme Court cited that Canadian ruling and said, look, Scotland's not any more oppressed than Quebec, therefore this self-determination argument doesn't work. So they were citing it and citing it to say, you can't just have referendums. The big difference, and I think this is why you're saying it's sort of, it's quite a different ruling in the British case, is that Quebec can have a referendum when it wants to, because it's a powerful sub-regional unit of a federation that's very devolved. Canada has a very devolved federal system. That's not the case with Scotland. Scotland only has a very short, a limited set of powers that are handed to it by Westminster. And Westminster said, you don't get the power to have referendums when you want to. And therefore, even though it looks like the same ruling and they're citing the same principles, you get a very different in Scotland 
Because when you say, well, we're not approving your referendum, Quebec goes, well, we don't care. We're going to have one anyway. And Scotland is left sort of unable to articulate any independence ref- preferences whatsoever. Yeah, I was, you know, the clear the clear majority and the clear question. It left a lot to interpretation, although I have to profess that Scotland's question was very clear the first time very. around, and they promised to make it very clear this time, too. So having been in Quebec through uh, two referenda, I always thought that was a good thing. This is not going to go away, clearly. But you, you wonder you wonder if there can't be another one, whether it does in some ways curb the momentum of this whole movement for a bit. It's hard to see how they move forward, but I tend to think Nicola Sturgeon's been at this for a while. I don't think she's going to cooler jets at this point. And the other thing that's kind of the broader context for this, I guess, is the fact that we really don't have established international law on how you have a lawful secession or a lawful independence movement. This is part of the reason that the Canadian ruling is so influential, because it's the closest thing to a statement of how to do lawful independence that exists pretty much anywhere in the world. Uh, and why this then made referendums so influential, because it, they were a central part of the Canadian ruling. But that was just the Canadian experience sort of being exported and being adopted and being borrowed, because there really wasn't a, a thoughtful framing of how to do this. Whether we will see in Scotland and saying, okay, that works for federal states, it simply can't be exported to unitary states. Like Spain is in the same situation where they tried tried to have a referendum in Catalonia Mm -hmm. and the national government said no. And they've got these horrible scenes of ballot boxes being being hauled out of people's hands. And and so when we export a federal solution to a unitary state, you you get a very different sort of power dynamic. So it may be that it's about time these things were revisited and rethought uh, and whether Scotland's going to be the place to do it. They certainly seem very committed to a lawful solution, a lawful path forward, whatever that's going to look like. Uh, and they seem to have some thoughtful people. So I, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. The, the Scots have had a fairly independent mind for uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years. So I think it'll it'll stick around for a while yet. Well, Catherine Frost, thank you so much for your time on this. My pleasure.